Hello everyone, welcome to the Mitchell Author Podcast, a podcast that celebrates and spotlights African authors on the continent through collaborative discussions and author interviews. I'm your host, Rachel Chiza. On this episode, I host Ama Asantewa Diaka, a poet, storyteller, and spoken word artist from Ghana. We discuss a new poetry collection, Woman, Eat Me Whole. Hi, Asantewa. Hi, Rachel. It's good to have you here. Good to be here. How have you been? I've been okay. It's a, it's a sunny day today, so I'm glad for that. Great. How are you? I'm very well. Very well. Um, my end of the world, it looks like it's planning to rain. Looks like the rainy okay. season. Yes. Yeah. But are you excited to be here? I am so excited. I am. <laughs> I'm excited to be here to, to talk about the work and yeah, just interact with people as well. Ama Asantewa Diaka, aka Poetra Asantewa from Ghana. She's a poet, writer, performer, and designer. She's a storyteller who is committed to community. Her work is focused on investigating, revealing, healing, or addressing her community. She's the author of You Too Will Know Me, part of the African Poetry Book Fan Book Collection 2019, and Woman Eat Me Whole, published by Echo. Thank you for the introduction, Rachel. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad. And uh, today we're going to talk about um, Ama's book, Woman Eat Me Whole, her poetry collection that was published this year in April, a collection that explores matters of womanhood, self, and beauty perceptions, culture expectations, mental illness, and so much more. There's just so much embedded in the book that I'm excited for us to get into. Uh, But now we're going to start with Ama reading for us one of our favorite poems from Woman Eat Me Whole. Okay. Um, Yeah, so when you said I was going to read a favorite poem, I was like, "Mm, it's hard to pick a poem. That's like asking a parent to pick a favorite child. Typically, they usually have a favorite child, but it's always hard to admit. Um, But I I chose this poem because I I don't write a lot of, I don't, I feel like I don't have a lot of hopeful poems. And this poem is one of the hopeful poems I I have. And so I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to start with this. Let's start on the hopeful note. Let's start on the really, you know, (laughs) great note. So this poem is titled A Utopia for Black Girls. Here, home is a rippling effect of joy in continuum, which is to say that there is no need for safe spaces because everywhere is safe. The spring in our step is directly proportional to the elasticity of joy. Our footsteps are fertilizer for bloom because we walk freely. In neighborhoods, our own compounds, in the parking lot, at a grocery store, in a friend's bedroom, at a nightclub, in broad daylight, underneath a bridge in the classroom, on known places late, late at night. Fear is a strange phenomenon we keep hearing of. 
trying to descend in a spaceship on our land. But as far as we know, shit don't exist. Safety is communion bread that takes its time to melt underneath our tongues. Here, neither Rachel nor Leah need to go through the needle of male validation to attain worthiness. When the gavel hits wood, we are not found guilty of love. Our love is not shoved down our throats as mutilated parts of our own bodies. It is not sliced up like beef and cramped into an airtight container to be buried in a man's backyard. It is not beaten blue until our skins become playground for primary colors to play mix and march. Memory isn't a trigger that belts grief on you. Love does not return back to us empty or broken. Not misfire our brains and turn our emotions into rot. It does not transform our bodies into a putrid scent of trauma here. The loss of our lives does not stink on us while we are still alive. Our births, our weights that hold secured futures firmly in place. Our names are melody so gossamer you can carry them in your throat. Our black skin siphon wealth for several tomorrows. Our labor yields fruit a thousandfold. There are so many smiles per minute. We stitch them into billboards for wandering strangers to soak in for free. Our brown bodies, a climax in spring. Bodies dancing wild in sweaty airiness with an abandon that closely resembles unbridled giggle. How wide the soul stretches when the body has freedom to move. What is breaking loose to a free spirit? Here we sing and teach birds into factories, spinning silk for our shimmery skins. We sculpt empathy and cold the future and cook healing into hemlines as hedges for our hefty hips. We build engines and design tomorrow and palm poems as portals for pussies. Here, we are eating light and it tastes like the childlike simplicity of never even knowing of worry to be wary of it. Thank you. Wow, thank you so much. I wonder though, um, why is this your favorite? Because I have, I don't think it's among the ones that I would uh, mention as my favorite poems. I have, I think like five mm-hmm. that I would choose as my favorite. And this does not rank among my five. Uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite, like, because like I mentioned, I think it's one of the hopeful poems. And a, a lot of the poems in the book are either, you know, it's like a display, a display. They're either, you know, bringing to light certain issues or certain point of views that I have on certain things. But this poem is is an imagination of the future, of the possibility of what the future could look like. Um, and so for me, I, I really like it because I, I don't write a lot of hopeful poems. And so it was an exercise in imagining a better future. Great. And I think we need that hope. <laughs> we need that hope. Woman, eat me whole. Why that title? Yeah. Um, so the title was one of the last things that I decided after the book. 
Um, and if you, you've read the book, so I, I know that you know that the book is divided into sections. So there are four sections to the book. The book is in four yeah. parts. And every, when I was writing the poems, like after I had finished writing everything and I was, I was just, you know, categorizing the poems, there were certain poems that were heavily themed around womanhood. And so I, I, I categorized all of them under woman. And there were certain poems where I used the metaphor of eating, whether it was food, I was puking, anything that has to do with the act of ingesting food. There were certain poems that were in line with that theme. And so I categorized them under eat. And then, there, of course, there were certain poems which were very personal um, that had to do with my personhood. And so I categorized them under me. And then there were certain poems which I felt each of those poems were, were a city on its own. Each of those poems were whole. Like it kind of it kind of brings the, the entire thing to a conclusion. And so those poems were also categorized under the the title whole. And and that's really how the poem the book title came together. It wasn't that I deliberated on and decided before I started writing. It was something that I came to afterwards when I was putting the entire book together. And that's how come Woman Eat Me Whole um, came about. I know a lot of people see it and think that it, it means something on its own. And I, I'm, I'm open to those interpretations. But the, the, the actual coming together of the title was because each of these parts, I categorized the poems under each of these parts and decided to name them on their behalf. What does the book mean to you? Okay. Um, the book the book means a lot of things. I think it represents a lot of things for me. Um, technically, this is my debut collection. It's, it's, I have a chapbook before that, but technically this is my debut, my first collection, of, and that's been released. And I think just that, just that for Woman Eat Me Whole to be the first, is it means it meant a lot that there are certain poems in this book that were written years ago and it was important that those books were were in print even though that those poems may have been heard before it it was relevant that they were they also appeared in print and so i think this the the symbol like first of all this 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 book symbolizes a lot for me it, it symbolizes the first the beginning of of several books to come, the beginning of um, identifying as an author, and the beginning of poetry as a genre that is, you know, taken seriously, as serious as fiction as well. And so for me, just the book itself, without the content, um, represents a lot of things for me. But what the book means to me is, it was important that I represent certain ideals and and themes and um and beliefs that are very dear to me or that I have spoken about or talked about heavily throughout my career as a poet and it it just is it would have been so unlikely of me to have released a book and for it not to be linked to womanhood it just wouldn't have made sense and so that's also one of the reasons why this book means so much to me and it's also one of the reasons why I can't wait for black and Ghanaian women to get hold of the book because they are the primary audience and Ghanaian men as well like I I, those were the people I wrote I people like me when I was writing this book 
And so it means a lot to me as a symbol and it means a lot to me as a book because I, I talk a lot about my identity as a black woman, as an artist, as a poet, as a Ghanaian, as a millennial, um, and as a young woman. And I think that all of these identities are relatable one way or the other um, to different people, even if you don't specifically identify with say being a Ghanaian there's something about this there's a poem in this book that you will identify with as a black person so yeah that's amazing um did you ever struggle um to try and make the book for everyone because I know you've emphasized that it's um you wrote it for the Ghanaian or the Ghanaian audience, like you're pronouncing it. Um, was that a struggle for you? Or it was very clear from the go that, you know what, I'm writing this book for my audience back at home. Um, oh yeah, it was quite clear to me. I think it's very hard to think of an audience outside of, of my local community, I think. Um, although to be honest, I wouldn't say like the like the very minute I started writing, I had an audience in mind. Um, and that's because I have had the opportunity to, like, as you know, I'm a performing poet. And so I had the opportunity to be engaged with an audience even before I started putting the book together. And because of that, the work that I was already performing on stage was very mindful of community. It, it wasn't It wasn't all personal. It wasn't all me. And so even before I started writing about the book, I had that at the back of my mind. I was already doing that. And so putting it together, um, yeah, I think it, it was already inbuilt that th this is not just about me. Um, however, I didn't, I, I, like I wasn't writing every poem and thinking, okay, who is this for? Who is that for? Not necessarily. I, it was after I finished writing, I guess, and I was putting it together. And you know, the, the journey to publishing is a very long and difficult one, especially for the genre poetry. Um, so that was also, the book ch changed form. The book, some poems were taken out, some poems were added, last minute, etc. So the, the book has, it has, it has shapeshifted from what it used to be when I started it to what it eventually is now. So um, right now, Ama is going to read one of my favorite poems from the collection called Jigsaw. Okay. Jigsaw. I wonder if my parents know the shape of my trauma. I want to call my mother in the dead of night and tell her 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 to 8 is a love that only exists in the pages of worn out Bibles. I wonder if my father knows the peak of this body's betrayal, how my pain the exposed nerve of a broken tooth hyperlinks to my swaying emotions. How temper spumes at the jaw of this body, high as the gates of Israel, torrential like its wars. How I love men who want me to shrink, and each time how I want them to stay. I wonder if my parents even know half trauma. If they know it keeps morphing into jigsaws that press into old wounds to create new ones. That I have become a resilient body, waking to new dawns, testament to a war no one sees me fighting. Thank you. 
Thank you, Santera. I love how you incorporate the biblical texts into mm. some of your poems and they go so well with it's like they fit perfectly and i think for jigsaw it made me think about um, generational trauma that we've read about in so many books but also i think from my own experience mm. the trauma that i've experienced and how many times like the the line that you use i want to call my mother in the dead of night and tell mm-hmm. her first corinthians 13 4 to 8 is a love that only exists in the pages of worn out Bibles. And I know that for Bible readers, this is a text that's been read so many times. At weddings, it's recited over and over again that we should know it and we should, I think, be practical <laughs> about it. But indeed, it, it seems like it only, that kind of love only exists in the pages of our worn out Bibles. I love that line. Yeah. Was that intentional on your part to incorporate the biblical texts into your writing? Uh, yes, yes, it was intentional. I think, I think to be very, um, my um, biblical affinity um, seeps into my poetry a lot. Like there are certain poems where I use the form of, of the Bible. So I guess it comes in the, in the form of verses or there are certain poems where I, 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 you know, there's a, I draw an imagery from a story or something that's in the Bible. So I think that's, it's something that I don't even realize I'm doing until I'm done writing the poem. But yeah, this was intentional because like you said, that verse is very, I think even for non-Christians, you've seen the poem, love is kind, love is patient, love is like, it goes on and on and on. Everybody has kind of seen that. It looks and feels very much like an unconditional love, but it's, it's very preached um, about. So that was to, to include that line in, in that. It was a very direct um, link to that poem, to that verse. Yeah, which is brilliant. It works so well and mm-hmm. helps the reader to sit back and reflect on that kind of love and what they have. I just need us to get to know more about you away from Woman Eat Me Whole, mm-hmm. who is Asantewa, what else do you do? Um, Asantewa is a writer. I write poetry. I also write fiction. I write nonfiction, but it's not my favorite genre. <laughs> but yes, um, I write, it's not just poetry, but poetry is my first love and will remain my first love. Um, but yes, I, I, I think that I do a lot of things, but at the core of my multiple identities writing writing is at the core of all of them and writing is how I navigate my way through things writing is how I, I explain things to myself and explain things to other people and so um writing is, is just a very core part of my identity but yes I don't only write I I also very much believe in community and I think it's very especially coming from a place like Ghana and I think this is not just limited to Ghana, but in a place where we don't have structures for the arts, um, like, like artists then have to resort to also building systems to sustain themselves. themselves. And so because of that, I have been very entrenched in community for the last five or six years as well. And so there are also two other communities that I'm heavily involved with. And one of them is Champet Press, which is a literary an art journal and slowly inching towards being a publisher as well 
um, which was a space that I felt was very relevant because I remember when I was writing um, five, six years ago, I wanted to see myself published. Like I had been posting on Facebook notes, if anybody remembers Facebook notes, um, from me. I'd been posting the... I, I had a blog. I still have a blog. I, I, I had been posting there. But it all felt very isolated. It all felt very... It felt just like you. It's just like you and your friends reading your work. And I wanted the work to be seen beyond my circle. And I know that literary journals and, you know, online journals, news, newspapers, they're also an avenue to get published as writers. But we didn't really have that space. And not to say that I was the first person to start it in Ghana. Like, we always start these things, but they never, the sustenance of them is, is quite difficult. Yeah. And I remember I kept, like, you know, we will all be, like, it felt like at some point in time, all of us were applying to New Yorker, Paris Review, because that's that's the one you know on the international platform. And I think I saw, it was, it was like a conversation that I had with an artist or whether I saw it online that, that, brought to mind the thought that like all these people have their local markets as well paris review has its its market ohio review has its markets all of these people they have their local target and so they receive work they're most likely going to have an affinity towards work that is in alignment with with what's happening on the local ground if i write about makola market or i write about it's not so much that it's not important, but the affinity to a foreign audience is quite far. And so the local spaces are needed to for us ourselves before we move on to the international platform. And that was what really motivated me to start Tampered Press. Um, and it's supposed to be a space to showcase other Ghanaian writers, a space to, you know, nurture our arts, workshops, train each other, see what we are writing within our local system and, and you know, learn from it, um, as well as just see the rising writers that is in our environment. And so that's how Contempered Press came about. And it's been going, I think Tempered Press is four years this year. Um, and so that's it's been it's been a joy and it's been hard <laughs> but it's really been a joy to see it get to where it is um on the foyers thank you thank you and then i also am the director for black girls glue which is an organization that came about because again so beyond being a performance poet i also sing a little but you know in, in the performance space as long as we're using sound we're all artists and it's very hard it was very hard to men collaborate. It, beyond the collaboration, there just weren't enough spaces for women to congregate and create together and work together. It's, it's always it's extra hard for women to break through in the arts. And so to just think about ways that we can make it easier, to just come together and, you know, create together, talk together, and collaborate hopefully together and that's how come black girls glow came about and it's been five years it's been a great community to see it build year in and year out and we are hoping that it expands beyond ghana yeah so that's that's that about me all right thank you um for that i was wondering uh, mm -hmm. about the sustainability of I know you've done uh, four years of Tampered Press now and four year, five years of Black Girls Glow. What's the ability 
of uh, of the arts project or the art sector in Ghana? Because I know in Uganda it's well, it's up and about, <laughs> but <laughs> everyone yeah. is doing and everyone is trying to sustain something, but without proper um, funding structures, I think it's mm-hmm. difficult to 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 imagine the mm-hmm. sustainability four or five years down the road. Yeah. Um, to be honest, funding is a struggle. Funding is a struggle in the arts in general. And I don't know if anybody is listening, but I think that, you know, even when there are funds available, it is so incredibly hard to access it because because you, you need to, you know, provide all these kind of documentation or evidence of work done. And even with that done, there's still a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of whom you know. So funding is, is a big problem. But what has really helped with both Tumpet Press and Black Girls Glue has been a collaboration. Has been has been collaboration is a sustenance model. That really is what has kept it going. Um, I have to be honest and say I don't know if it can keep it going for another five years. Um, because at the end of the day it is a service. It's a service that, that's being rendered. And if that service is going to thrive as long as it needs to so that all artists or other people can benefit from it, then we have to, it has to be, and for it to be more fixed, it means it has to be paid. And that's where funding mm-hmm. comes in. And so, yeah, I'm hoping that that we can, you know, have a longer solution to our funding struggles. But what has really kept it going is that Black Girls Glow has emerged into, into a community. And so even though it identifies as, a, as an organization, it is run by artists. Yeah. Black Girls Glow is solely run by artists. And that's really what has kept the organization going till now. Yeah. I love what you say that collaboration is a sustenance model mm-hmm. because it's easier to do things with people and go forward than try to do everything by yourself, which I think is really difficult to do and achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have more collaborations and the projects are able to be sustainable beyond what we ever imagined. Um, so we're going to have another poetry break uh, where as until I will read Let It Be, one of my other favorite poems from the collection. So Asantua, over to you. Let it be. I have been fretting over things that God shakes his head at. Toying with faith as if it were a disappearing act. One minute, I'm full of it. The next, I don't exactly know the shape of it. I fret over now and tomorrow, giving myself and God a headache. Spoon feed myself faith and come up hungry again. I have taken up all the space on my mother's prayer sheet and the happiness of those I love takes up all of mine. At the end of the day, in God's ears, saying, let it be. Thank you. Um, I think when I read this, I was just reminded of the state of anxiety that I'm constantly in. Mm. And no matter how many times I fret and keep at God's ears, I'm still in the state of anxiety day in, day out. And trying to get to, I'm learning to get to that place of just letting things be. That poem resonated with me so much, so much. Okay, um, I don't know if, let me get the name right. 
Weku, if you would like to say something or if you have a poem that you would like Ama to read or recite for us. Good afternoon. Yes, I'm sure. Um, um, hi, hi. everyone. Um, want to make a request. Um, dear Nalom. Okay. Yeah, if you could kindly do Dear Nalom. Yeah. Thank okay. you very much. You're welcome. Um, one second while I look for Dear Nalom. That's all right. Um, um, Kitara Nation, did you poem for Asantewa to recite or would you like to ask a question? Uh, to ask a question. Uh, unfortunately, we've not been able to you know, to read Asantewa's poetry yet or access the books in Uganda. Uh, but yeah. uh, the question that I have is, as, as poets who also uh, double between uh, publishing and performance on a regular, uh, would like to ask um, Asantewa about you know, her experience of um, page poetry and stage poetry, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, when it came to the process of, um, you know, adapting her works uh, for the page. Was it, um, how was the experience like uh, for you as a poet who, you know, who constantly performs? Uh, were there any changes that you had to make? Uh, to your to your you know to your poetry to accommodate uh, your listeners uh, or to uh, or rather to accommodate your reader or to accommodate your readers and your listeners at the same time did uh, poems did you were there some poems you wrote specifically uh, to be read and how about the poems that you had uh, originally written to be performed uh, did they mm-hmm. change uh, in the process of you trying to publish them. Thank you. Okay. For me, I always start from the page. Even if it's a poem that's going to be performed, I always start from the page. And and so I've, I've never felt like the poetry that is presented on the page and the poetry that is presented on the stage are different. So that's, that's generally, that's always been my approach. I just happen to have an extension of a voice for the stage. And so when I am on stage, you get, let's just say you get an add-on, but the poetry remains the same for me, whether it's on the page or on the stage. However, I will say that because I have the experience of stage, because I have the experience of performing the poetry out loud, it makes me more particular of how I want the work to be perceived on the page. And so I employ certain forms that will ensure that people at least there's a like how they read it is as clear on them to read so i'm going to give a, a very short example so for instance there's a poem in this book titled start restart and the first line is in let's say font size 12 but the next consecutive lines are in smaller font and that's because i wanted i want there to be a difference like the main point i'm giving is the one in the bigger font and so if i were performing this for the first line, I would sound louder, but the next one would be near whisper. So if that makes sense, I use form to try and navigate or to try and lead the reader into how I want them to perceive it. Um, so for me, that's been my experience. That's how I, I work around it. But at the core of it, the writing on the page for me isn't different from the writing on the stage. Yeah, I hope that answers your question. Okay, Kweku, I'm going to read 
Now, dear Nalom, in this book, it's titled A Good Day for Redemption. I know that it's in on my EP, it's dear Nalom, but in the book, it's titled A Good Day for Redemption. Dear Nalom, now that we both agree our 20s are home to ruin, our bodies have become liberation grounds for redemption. The late night calls, the salt-laced shots, the outrageous 20-city taxi fare for a 10-minute journey after 1am, the tipsy laughter, the pitiful ritual of guilt-tripping others by disappearing, home on parts drilled into our black holes in search of missing orgasms. We've both been pretending we've seen the light at the end of the goddamn awful tunnel. But we were so eager to claim this adulthood title we forgot we hadn't grown up. Truth be told, if I could have the cockiness with which naivety knew your body's address and rented space there in your adolescence, I would snatch it. The freedom that comes with not knowing enough about the cruelty of the world to remember to be ashamed of your body. The short length of time it takes to get ready to step out because you're not pinching or poking or borrowing like your skin is target practice for greenhorns. An old lover once told me he was sitting on an undiscovered gold mine because he was dating a flat-chested girl he hoped would become voluptuous in the future. And my face lit up because I believed myself an undiscovered gold mine. You can blame everything on youth if you're drunk enough. His illegal touch, food spiced with low self-esteem, a body that doesn't know how to forgive itself. Nalum, my high school dormitory was built on an old cemetery. The way I see it, either we are feeding off the dead or dead things were laid here to rest so we could live as they knew. The Old Testament God promised joy in the morning, but there's no way of telling time in dark tunnels. So any day is a good day for redemption. Picking up on the question that Guitar Nation asked about um, stage poetry as well as um, page poetry, I think for me it's more into the publishing poetry. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. I know that Kitara Nation, it's a poetry publishing outfit, mm-hmm. and they've been doing a lot of um, that for Ugandan poetry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I just want to hear what's the landscape like when it comes to publishing poetry in Ghana, to know whether it's any different or if what are the challenges actually, what are the challenges faced when it comes to publishing your poetry? Okay, so well, this book was published by a US publisher. So okay. it wasn't published by a Ghanaian publisher. And I, I took this traditional route um, because, yes, I wanted to find out, like I wanted to learn, you know, what really the process is for publishing your book worldwide, not just for myself, but also a community. So when you say the poetry publishing landscape in Ghana, I have to go and say the general publishing landscape in there are very, very few publishing opportunities here. A lot of a lot of writers self-publish. And self-publishing is great, it's not bad, but it means that you have to do all the work. You have to market, design, you have to distribute. 
And that's a lot of work for one poet to do or one writer to do. So the publishing landscape here is also a challenge, really. It is. It is a challenge. And um, the process of, of you know, um, publishing my book, I like I said, I took the traditional route, which was finding an agent, and which is a very tedious and long process for poetry because first of all there are very very few agents for poetry um and so getting a, an agent to broker a deal for your book a poetry book is a challenge but once you do get an agent it becomes seemingly easier or diff, um, at least it, it moves forward from there so you you get a publishing deal and then once you get a publishing deal you go through the publishing process itself of getting your book marketed, designed, your cover, etc. So that is the tradition. In Ghana, I would say that it doesn't exist like that. It's a, it, it's mainly, it's about, I would say 90% self-publishing, at least for fiction, poetry, and, and non-fiction genre, like creative writing. Um, what exists in our publishing industry here are textbooks and yeah, mostly textbooks, I would say that's it. But um, like I mentioned, that's one of the things that I'm hoping that I can I can move into here um, and with Tampet Press to slowly kind of, very, very slowly, because publishing is a very big um, industry, which requires a lot of work, but to slowly, you know, take that on as well and see how we can conquer the market, for lack of a better word, in mm-hmm. Ghana. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I like that. I like the the goal that you have to conquer the marketing world in Ghana. I, because I think in Uganda, it's it's really the same thing. We have, though it's changing now, but we have a lot of textbooks on the market and it's easier to get those published. Mm-hmm. However, there are um, people now, say like Guitar Nation, that's solely publishing poetry. So we know that if you need poetry by Ugandan poets, um, that's the place to go to, and you'll be assured of getting many of them. And now we'll have a centauri to us, the audacity of men. Days after a stranger kisses your lips without permission, you struggle to give language to the way you feel. Filth doesn't feel very far from the surface. It lingers like a dead rat taken forever to decompose. And guilt lifts underneath. But trapped guilt is like mercury. It will slip through the tiniest crack. And you carry it quietly, waiting for an opportunity to thrash it. Because how else do you make sense of a random unknown man whose muscle memory does entertain the thought of touching a woman without her consent? How else? Thank you. I really hope that everyone is able to get um, Asantewa's poetry and is able to read it. I know uh, it's also available on script as an audiobook. So that's, I think, a fantastic way to listen. Were you the the narrator for the audiobook? Yes, I was. I was a narrator for the audiobook. Perfect. So if you want to hear more of Asantewa, get to script, listen to the audiobook. I think uh, reading... And listening for me is a treat. Being able to read the poems and then listen to them is such a treat. So I hope that everyone is able to do that. Thank you for being here, Asantewa. Thank you so much for saying yes to this, uh, for being very gracious uh, with your time, with your work. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Rachel. And thank you to everyone who made the time to be here. It's been a pleasure to have you be an audience to our session. Thank you for tuning in today. Don't forget to follow Asantewa on Twitter and Instagram at poetra underscore Asantewa. Follow Meet Your Author on Twitter at AuthorMeet. And don't forget to click the subscribe button for more author conversations. This episode was powered by Gotes and Trump Kampala. You can follow them on Facebook at Gotes and Trump Kampala, Instagram at GZK underscore Kampala.